0: welcome everybody to navigating change the podcast from Tybel Inc I'm Pete Wright and there's Howard Tybel and well you gotta say hello oh hi hi Howard. It's good to see you and a special a really special guest Gail Gregory hi Pete Gail hello thank why whatever brought you to this fine uh, fine uh, podcast entertainment
1: well Howard invited me to well, speak I... about our article in the in the Nakubo Business Officer.
0: What a treat and a, a fine coincidence. We were just going to talk about that. <laughs> uh, the, uh, so this month, March 2014 edition of uh, Business Officer Magazine, you and Howard together, I can only imagine how that was, uh, <laughs> you wrote a, a feature article for the magazine called With Clarity for All. What are you talking about in this article? I'm going to let Gail go first.
1: That's the first time he's ever said that. To <laughs> I
2: love it. I love it.
1: Um, well, the clarity that we're talking about is, is clarity in communication, clarity in collaboration across this, what, what we term the senior leaders in the organization, but really it's, it's appropriate for everyone in the organization.
0: Okay, so what does that mean uh, when you're talking about clarity of communication across senior leaders? Can you give me some examples that you might have uncovered uh, that, uh, of how uh, just how this approach to clarity might help uh, the organization uh, function?
2: Well, you know, the thing that comes to mind for me is listening. And it's silly, you know, when, when we're in front of a group doing a retreat, I often find myself at times saying things and say, listen, this is not rocket science. As a matter of fact, most of what we're going to share with you is common sense but common sense gets thrown out the window uh, when it comes to sort of working together. And what we have found or what I found, for example, in one of the collaboration conversations uh, for Carnegie Mellon is um, how the new chief business officer spent the majority of his time when he stepped into his role uh, going out there and listening to what others need and the, the trustee, his perspective of this was is, is that he is, that Amir brought a high level of trust as a result of the way that he went about learning what the needs are as opposed to going out there and sharing this is what I need from you. So I think listening is probably and not just in the first hundred days. You know, this is the other thing is that you know, we we do that to remind ourselves that as a president or as a new employee, we should be doing more listening. Uh, really, listening is something that you never end. And the ones that we spoke to that did a that are doing great work at their institution, they're demonstrating a high level of listening between their. Their, uh, their themselves and their constituents what do you, what do you think gal?
1: I, I agree Howard and then uh, another example would also be um, in terms of the language that people use that it's you know part of part of its listening but part of it's communicating in a way that other people can understand. Um, so for example at Caldwell College, soon to be Caldwell University, um, the president has an expectation of their chief business officer that he communicates, Budget and any sort of financial information without using financial jargon. You know, it's it's on him to make sure that uh, his colleagues on the cabinet can understand what he's trying to communicate to them.
0: Now, Gail, I know you have you, you mentioned you. Uh you talked to the president at Caldwell College, Nancy Blatner. Uh, Howard already mentioned your, your conversation with Amir Ranami Azhar, uh, from the VP of Finance and CFO at Carnegie Mellon University. Uh, did you find, when you talked to folks on the academic side of the house, uh, any interesting insights uh, when speaking specifically to this issue of the, the jargon transom, uh, getting teams to communicate more clearly together?
1: Well, uh, the person from the academic side of the house that we spoke to was Claire Sturck from Emory University, and she has, and, and her colleague on the business side of the house, Michael Mandel, have really forged an incredible partnership where um, they, they emphasize the importance of a common language as well, and they kind of house all of their interactions under focus on mission you know, everything they do is about focusing on the mission. Um, they share some, some key reports. They, re, they report to both of them. And, um, so they just, they were really emphasizing the mutual respect, finding a common language, et cetera.
2: You know, what's, what's interesting, Pete, is that, you know, we can frame this as strategic, uh, communication. And I think that's a relevant term. We could talk about that, but I, I think that a term that's out there now that, that I think we're finding in our work is this idea of strategic collaboration. You know, communication is a foundational uh, skill that improves collaboration. And I think if you think about strategic collaboration, there's something important about that and different from collaborating on, for example, an operational issue. Collaborating on a strategic issue is a unique kind of challenge because it does raise in what Gail just talked about, is this idea of having mission be front and center. And the challenge there is we, we serve mission in our, in our own way, but to recognize we both are serving the same mission.
1: Exactly, Howard. Exactly. Um, Claire had this incredible quote, uh, if you don't mind me sharing it, Pete. Um, what she said is that we bring together our individual expertise and collectively accomplish what individually we could not. I just found that to be so powerful.
0: It is powerful, and it's one of those things. I think the 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 context or the the between strategic communication and strategic collaboration. Uh, the actually, I should say, the difference between those two, I think, is important. To me, strategic communication, uh, it, it seems a bit one-sided it's it's it to me feels like to the tune of how to win friends and influence people you know you're communicating strategically to get something that you want or to l- deliver some strategic goal but strategic collaboration to me it uh, sounds like just what you're talking about this relationship between uh the uh, you know uh, Academic and administrative representatives at Emory, for example, that you mentioned, uh, this idea that we are working together to achieve our strategic goals, which elevates and enhances that concept so so powerfully.
2: Yeah, and I think what that does too is that forces us when we when we use that language, it forces us to recognize it is about the other side. Uh, when you talk about communication, I think there's this presumption about communicating effectively. And it's about what we're doing, as opposed to collaboration, which, by de- by definition, means we're sitting around the table. How are we effectively working a problem? You throw strategic into this. What you're basically saying is, it's 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 that area that most of us don't know how to do individually. And the truth is, we cannot do individually. And and you know, as Gail pointed out, some of these schools that we interviewed really demonstrated how they have harnessed that kind of positive thinking. And it comes from the top down. There is, um, you know, there's, a, there's an open debate about can you teach people uh, how to be uh, effective collaborators? Can you teach people how to have certain skill sets? And I think it has a lot to do with the leadership mindset uh, brought to the institution.
0: Did any of the uh, I- the interviewees uh, discuss any of the sort of key results that they may have seen uh, from you know improving their uh, let's call it strategic collaboration uh, by way of clarity of communication?
1: Well, I think one of the examples Pete was uh, comes to us from Caldwell um, when when Nancy Blattner, the president, arrived on campus um you know really days after she arrived they were dealing with a a uh, financial crisis and um people can can read in the article of how they um the collaboration that she had with her cbo with the cabinet with the board with uh the com- campus community as a whole how through efforts with collaboration Um, consistent communication, transparency, they were able to very effectively um, resolve that that crisis and form strategic partnerships that, um, that serve them to this day.
0: I think the uh, you know it's a it's a fascinating look and I you know I encourage folks to to jump over to tybalink.com and take a look at this article. You, it, luckily uh, now it is available online at nakubo.org. It is a, a very long link, so we have posted a link uh, on our site that you can jump straight over to uh, nakubo.org and read this article. I wonder if you guys could reflect for me as we as we close up here. Uh, you know you are I, I, and I've asked Howard this question in the past. You know as you. See Send your clients and colleagues links to this article that you have worked on together. Uh, what is it that you hope your, uh, your peers uh, get out of this article as they, uh, as they digest it and, and move forward in their day-to-day work in institutions?
2: I'm going to take the last quote in the article, which I think is wonderful, and I think there's a lot in this. And this is, gets back to uh, Emory University's uh, uh, comment. Uh, we push each other's creativity. Our different perspectives trigger different ways of looking at issues a process that we welcome. Think about that. Uh, Creativity, uh, different perspectives, triggering different ways of looking at things, and that we welcome this. Embedded in that, in those three sentences, is so much of what I think we want to encourage leaders to do more of, is to get in there with each other, recognize that they share the mission in different ways, and that Rather than it being a necessary evil to collaborate, it is the way to get through the problem. that That to me is uh, what I want to encourage people to have more confidence that they can be doing that.
1: And I would say, um, you know, for those folks who are in relationships that are that are perhaps strained right now yeah. with with their colleagues to look at, the people that we spoke to look at them for inspiration to try and find um, not the areas where you disagree or where you've had difficulties in the past, but where are those areas of common ground and to build on that.
0: The uh, the folks obviously who who uh, uh, joined you as interview subjects uh, absolutely lend their uh, expertise and credibility uh, to this discussion, and and uh, obviously we thank them very much for for joining this. Uh, uh, joining this project. Absolutely. And again, you can re- jump over to com. It's right there on the front page, uh, but uh, uh, you can also find a link to it off the blog uh, where you can read with clarity for all in the March 2014 issue of Business Officer Magazine. Closing comments?
2: We're just, I'll, I'll tell you, what, what I'm excited about is I think the nature of this work is touching what it is that we, what our business is attempting to influence more and more of is Helping people feel confident that they can move in a positive direction, but it has everything to do with how they reach across the aisle, uh, how they choose to be really good listeners, be interested in what the other side or those you're working with have and are trying to bring, and then just recognize that you're sharing in the outcome. And that's the way to get through the problem, not to do it in isolation.
1: I agree, Howard. I couldn't say it better.
2: Yeah, you
0: could. (laughs) She so could say it better, but she's just being nice. (laughs) Well, you know, I love that you say that. And ending on that note of, you know, we, uh, I cannot win unless we all win together is such a, a powerful kind of a motif. I think. Yes. Yes. I like that.
2: And again, he got the last word and again. He got the last word and it's, it's always the best word. It's
0: only because I have the power of the red button. <laughs> do you, do you I can, I button. can edit, I can edit myself any way I, I see fit. So I'll give you a dig. I'm standing here. My arms are at my side. Go ahead.
2: No, I just, I, I'm just looking forward to how you wrap this thing up as you do so brilliantly every time. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm doing that by just thanking you, Howard, for your wisdom and expertise. And Gail, it is about time uh, that we get you on this <laughs> show to share your value and expertise uh, in this uh, in this subject. We can't wait to uh, have you do this again and come back and talk to us. Oh, some she's more. definitely doing. I hope it again. you. I hope you will.
1: Thank you so much, Pete. I would love to come back.
0: And how exciting is it that Gail Gregory is running? The Boston Marathon.
1: It is so exciting, Pete. Uh, you know this. This is the year. This is the year to win to uh, to win Boston. Yeah. <laughs> 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 this would be the year for someone to win Boston, and um, it is my year to run Boston. So, uh, <laughs> so thanks so much,
0: athlete and writer Gail Gregory. On behalf of Howard Teibel and the once and future guest Gail Gregory, I'm Pete Wright. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next week on Navigating Change, the podcast from Teibel Inc.